names are Teresa and Gumby. Welcome to Escaping Society. We wrote our own songs so we wouldn't have to pay for anyone else's copyright infringement. Welcome to Escaping Society, Episode 51, Escape from the Planet of the Humans. I'm Teresa. I'm Gumby. And we are out here, still out here in the country, trying to stay away from the COVID. Um, It's a windy, blustery day in May, which is not, not usual here in central North Carolina. So we are hunkered down in our magic tent our minivan, and it's so cozy. These are days when it's just like, I love being in the van. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And um, before we get into uh, Planet of the Humans, which is a film um, that we want to talk about today, I just wanted to give a shout out to uh, someone who, I think, like, we looked him up on Facebook, or he looked us up, um, Colibri Ter. Zonenbluma, I thought, I'm not sure if I pronounced that right. Um, I ordered, it was a triple digital download of a book that he wrote about wild tending, or part of it's about wild tending. Gumby actually just finished reading it today. Um, and not only did I receive the digital downloads, but Colibri then sent in an envelope, like an actual, goodness gracious book that was signed as well as um, a few copies of a pamphlet. A pamphlet's called Ecology, Economy, Empire, and Consciousness. And it says right on the back that we can share it, so I'll try to share that on our Facebook page. But I just wanted to give a shout out because I I thought it was a very informative pamphlet that covers a lot of what we talk about. Even mentioning Roxanne Dunbar Ortiz's book, um, An Indigenous People's History of the United States. So I'll try to share that on our Facebook page the next time we're in town. And I just wanted to say thank you for sending that. I think that's pretty cool. And I just finished his book that he sent us, The Failures of Farming and the Necessity of Wild Tending, like uh, literally minutes ago. (laughs) And um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I want to read more of Sun and Blue May. Is that how you say you pronounce this? Sun and Blue May? I'm not sure. Sun and Blue May? Well... Uh, <laughs> I want to read more of his writing, and uh, I'm definitely interested in wild tending. Exactly. Uh, I want to learn more about that. Me too. I was asking, and I received, so awesome. So today's episode, uh, we're talking about Planet of the Humans, a film by Jeff Gibbs that was at least produced in part by Michael Moore, Michael Moore being the force behind Bowling for Columbine and Fahrenheit 9-11 and Fahrenheit 11-9. And we were really excited to watch this. It was actually released during the Traverse Film Festival last year, 2019, in July, August. But it was re-released online for free on the eve of Earth Day this year, 2020. And I'll reshare the link. I think I shared it on the Escaping Society Facebook page, but I'll reshare that um, when we post the podcast, just so in case you missed it. Immediately after the release online, there were several criticisms uh, that came out. 
calling for this dangerous film to be taken down. Some of the criticisms coming from the Solar Energy magazine, um, just to name an example. So I started looking into these criticisms, um, and it was kind of more the same when you when you start to look into criticisms. They're not really, they're not that good. At least for things that like we, Gumby, you were trying to look up criticisms of Daniel Quinn and and reading these criticisms of this uh, film. They're just kind of they just fall flat. Yeah, I I like to hear the other point of view. Um, not even if I already um, agree with like say what Daniel Quinn says or um, Jeff Gibbs's documentary we're discussing. Um, I just feel like it's more of a well-rounded opinion I form um, to find out what other people are saying. And also, I want to be prepared to support um, views that I think need to be supported and spread further. Starting to rain a little bit. Mm -hmm. And um, so part of that is to um, prepare myself to counter, you know, whatever's being said out there um, against the things I want to support. So, yeah, I'm surprised often when I look for the criticism of something, how lame it is. I mean, it's, it's like flack. It's just white noise. It's stuff that people say when they've decided they want to oppose something and seem to not really be thinking through what they're saying. And that's kind of my feeling of everything I've heard opposing this film so far. Um, and it's gotten a lot of criticism. I feel like, uh, Jeff Gibbs and the other people involved, you know, Michael Moore, and we watched a, uh, interview with those two and Ozzy. Ozzy Zaner, I think, was another producer, and he was also in the film. And an author. But, um, yeah, these guys looked to me, like, pretty beat up, you know? I think maybe they they might have opened more of a can of worms than maybe they thought they were going to. Um, And it just seems like a lot of people are passionately... um, trying to heap criticism upon them. I, I think they stepped into something, you know, with this green energy group, um, this movement. And I think it's because the people that um, support this, they can't afford to lose the true believers, the faithful. You know, it's one thing to turn against the oil economy because they figured out how to kind of co-opt that, you know, scoop that right up. And so, okay, so let's go green. Here's the alternative. This is how we keep civilization going. But if you turn against the alternative as well, you're getting into some dangerous territory. And I think you're really stirring the hornet's nest. And uh, yeah, from from what I've heard of uh, Jeff Gibbs, I guess you're probably going to mention a little bit about the interview with Derek Jensen. Yeah. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. But all I'll say about that right now is that listening to him, he sounds to me like a guy that's taken a beating. He's kind of shaky, you know, like, and I'm not saying this against him. I really applaud what he's doing, but I wonder if he was prepared for all the, the, the reaction he's getting. Yeah. And there's that. So, like I said, I was reading some of the criticisms online and As usual, like I said, the criticisms really weren't that great. Um, Films for Action is the website where we initially um, we were watching the film. And they are also now hosting uh, links to a lot of the critiques of the film. So that's a handy um, place to just check it out for yourself. But some of the criticisms I'll talk about here. 
So one of them was that this particular film, um, it really does badmouth green energy. And I guess, you know, coming from a place where I was always thinking that, you know, solar energy and wind energy and whatever else we could do was better. I can understand and relate to how people might take offense to this, but I really feel like Jeff Gibbs did an excellent job of bringing it to light. And if people, you know, are getting their feelings hurt because of that, well, let's take a look at where we are decades later, decades after, you know, we've waited and, um, this green energy just, it's just kind of, it's not really taking, we're still using fossil fuels and we're still having to do a lot to make this transition to green energy happen. And I think one of the big problems is that uh, people are asking the wrong questions and fighting the wrong battles. You know, that's why it's not, as Teresa says, taking. Because, you know, an analogy I've used before is I think of our culture sort of like a tank. It's a war machine. You know, it's built to spread, to control people, to exploit resources. It's built to do some really ugly, violent things. You know, you don't get that kind of control without violence. So to me, when you're discussing green energy, it's sort of like when you're discussing what paint job to put on the tank or (laughs) whether you want to put diesel fuel to run the tank or whether you want the tank to run on solar panels. Like a military tank. Yeah, a big (laughs) tank with a big gun, you know, big, what do you call those, those treads, you know, that just like destroy the earth. It's still a tank. I don't care if you paint it pink. You know, so it it seems more uh, friendly to more groups of people. If you have it run on solar panels, it's still a tank. And I feel like that's what we're not questioning enough. Um, And I know I'm not I'm not putting forth some new idea with that. You know, I've heard Derek Jensen say this. I've heard Jeff Gibbs say that um, in that interview we listened to this morning. Um, But those are the questions we need to be asking is. This way of life, this way of relating to the world where we're trying to find new ways to exploit its resources, um, as opposed to like wild tending that I'm just reading about, that is all about reciprocity. Um, This disconnect, you know, where we feel like we need this level of technology. Why do we think we need so much technology Um, that we're trying to find alternative ways to run it? One of the most terrifying thoughts to me is what if this succeeds? What if... What if they do advance the technology far enough because they're not asking the right questions? You know, some of the things about uh, like green energy is that, well, it's the beginning phase. It's messy right now. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, it's like, you know, being made through really ugly factories and ugly mining and like what it takes to make a solar panel is horrific. But that's because it's beginning. It will right. eventually be made with good stuff. But to me, this is a distraction. It is the wrong focus. Um, Because why do we need the solar panel? Why do we need the electricity in the first place? Why suddenly in the human experience full of all these people that have lived close to the earth, that have uh, thought their lives as sacred, as mystical, magical, why suddenly have we become so dependent on this technology that all we can even conceive of is ways to fuel it or alternative ways to fuel it. Those are the questions that just get ignored. And I, I think the, the, the green movement 
is meant to distract us, to bury those kinds of questions, the deeper questions, and that's what we need to be asking. Yeah, and and I'm glad that she mentioned that about um, just looking at green energy for what it really is. In the interview that um, Gumby keeps mentioning with uh, Derek Jensen talking to Jeff Gibbs, that's on, what is it, Resistance Radio? Yeah, Resistance Radio, uh, which is Derek Jensen interviewing um, different people. Um, Hi, we, I'm Derek Jensen. <laughs> Hi, I'm Derek Jensen. Yeah, we were making fun of him in the last episode, but it's a it's a really good podcast. You yeah. know, I want to I wanna mention that again, so hopefully uh, anybody listening to this will give that a shot, too, because especially this interview with Jeff Gibbs I thought was really good. Mm-hmm. And... Um, in that interview, they were mentioning like some of the other costs of green energy, some that I didn't know, some that you probably don't know. And, you know, we're the ones that are supposedly like caring the most. So some of them that are really um, just gut wrenching are bats whose eardrums are being shattered by the sound of the wind turbines. And the pressure, I guess there's a uh, like a difference in pressure that's so extreme. Yeah. yeah, exploding their eardrums and the birds that are flying into the the blades, like those blades, even though they look. Well, remember when we were traveling this mm-hmm. last year and we were seeing like miles and miles, and it was spooky looking. You know, you're you're looking at these mountains and prairies. You know, you kind of get a sense of the natural world, and then you see these windmills, the giant. That, that are being like sold to us as like green, as if they're part of nature, yeah. you know, but they do not. They look like every time I saw this field of windmills, it looked to me like a war of the worlds, like this Martian, this technology that was huge. These, these big tripods are taking over. And in the film, Planet of the Humans, they talk about how these things don't last long, you know, so the materials that it takes to make them, you know, there's a whole nother huge industry money-making machine. Um, and we saw it. We saw the windmills and like how many of them did we see that weren't yeah, running? They, they weren't doing shit. They were just st- <laughs> sitting there. And the ones that were running, apparently like they, they, they might look slow, but you know, I, I, I I'm not good at math, and I'm even worse at describing mathematical stuff. But you think about, like, the middle might be going slow, but those the tip of the blades out at the end making the larger circles are actually going really fast. Yeah, I think I heard it might have been in this film, um, but I heard they go, like, 200 miles per hour. Yeah, and birds are not prepared for that. That's not something you run into in the natural world. So that's another way birds are getting just annihilated on these blades. And something else that happens is... Over solar panel farms, if the solar panel farm wants to direct the most sunlight uh, to capture the most energy, they will have um, not only the solar panels, but mirrors to reflect the sunlight onto the solar panels. And birds can be just basically like burned in midair, just toast when they go through this beam of light. Yeah, just like a laser. And also the solar panels themselves, apart from the mirrors, apparently what that looks like to certain birds is a large body of water, like a lake. And so they found a lot of dead birds around these big fields mm-hmm. of solar panels, and they've noticed that a, a quite a large percentage of them are water birds. 
which are apparently thinking they're like landing in a lake and then come crashing into these solar panels. And then, I mean, this, the list goes on and on. We keep hearing more and more about this green energy, you know, even people that are like, of course, they have to like go in and clear a field, you know, to make an area big enough for the solar panels. And maybe they're going into the desert, which we get taught is like, you know, kind of a dead area anyway. Wasteland. A wasteland. Nobody lives there. So, for instance, there's desert tortoises, among many other creatures that live there. And apparently in one of these places, they actually tried to make an effort to move the desert tortoises out of there. But guess what? These aren't just like objects that can be put on on some other shelf and they're happy there. They live there. So just like tribes of displaced people, they started trying to get home. Yeah. And uh, they ended up finding like a lot of dead desert tortoises that Ouch. like would come to now what's gated off, keeping them from their home, and they die out there. They would just pace back and forth next to the fence that's keeping them out of their homeland. Yeah. And once again, this is green energy. It's being sold to us as now you are eco friendly. You're someone who is like now in cooperation with the earth. And it's such a fucking lie. Um, and one of the things that I've heard, and I'm, I'm hoping I'm not stealing too much of your thunder because I know you're, <laughs> you're talking a lot about this stuff. But just real quick, um, before I, I, I lose the thread of it, is one of the big critiques um, against this film is that it didn't offer solutions. Uh-huh. Now, I personally like that. What I feel like we need the most is questions. We need to set aside the things that either just flat out don't work or are working for all the wrong purposes. In other words, destroying us, killing the life on the planet. I didn't mind that he's not feeding us another, you know, heap of bullshit. Like, here's the new, you know, like, here's, I don't know, let's pick another color. We went with green and that got debunked. Like, here's new magenta energy, you know? (laughs) I like the film better that he didn't try to sell me something. Um, It makes me think of uh, Daniel Quinn, and Daniel Quinn was mentioned in this interview too, which Mm -hmm. I, I thought was kind of exciting for me, like, wow, you know, but, um, something Daniel Quinn talks about our culture is that one of our core commandments we're taught is we cannot abandon civilization at any cost, no matter what, um, we can fight for it. We can change the way it's fueled. We can, you know, do all kinds of things within the the prison walls of the civilization, but thou shalt not abandon civilization. Hmm. And so you see that reflected, you know, I loved when I read that because I thought about it and I still see it. Those are the questions, the battles that don't get fought and the questions that don't get asked, although it is coming up more and more, which I find really uh, a ray of hope in these dark times. That's kind of exciting that anarcho-primitivists, people like Derek Jensen, people like uh, Max Wilbert, you know, Green Flame, there, there's a lot more movements. It's easier to find people who are asking these questions. And... um are there any easy answers? I don't know. I'd say from within the prison walls of civilization, for me, it feels like there aren't. But I got a feeling it's one of those things that once you make the shift, you know, like, let's say 200 years from now, we're all living quite a bit like people have lived 20,000 years ago. We're sitting around fires. We're hunting. We're wild tending. We're gathering. They're going to look back in hindsight, I think, and realize, wow, it was the easiest thing. Of course, there was an easy answer. You just stop. You already knew how to live. You just stop. And uh, 
Quinn says that's why we find abandoned cities of civilizations in other parts of the world. You know, the people just tried something. It started not working. They didn't have that commandment, thou shalt not abandon civilization. So they went back to what worked. Um, but yeah, so that's what I, I, I say about the, uh, you know, the critique of that there were no answers. Yeah, and, and staying with that, like the film not really discussing any solutions, there were articles that I read that um, – you know, criticizing the film and they mentioned some of the solutions or some of the things that are being worked on. And I'll just share some of them. I think, I mean, thinking about what, um, what government is, I don't think these solutions are going to work, but here are some of them. So for example, instead of using gross national product, use other means of measuring economic health. Okay, we're talking about the economy. We're not even talking about the environment. Um, But therein lies the problem. We can look at, quote, environmental health when we talk about the economy, but the economy has to keep going if our commandment is that it has to keep going, industrial society at all costs. And the economy requires that industry produce more, more, more. In fact, Michael Moore said that. That's how I remember it. Yeah. He, he, doesn't he say it in the film or was that in the, it was oh, in it was during interview. the interview. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember that. He's saying like, you know, everything has to grow. We're, we're not like our whole culture is not based on sustainability. It's built on growth. If you have a company that does not grow, something has considered wrong with that company. Exactly. And so by its very nature, it's a voracious world-eating thing. It's the old onceler, you know, biggering and biggering and biggering. <laughs> Another solution was uh, was looking at overpopulation and how um, educating – well, talking about overpopulation and talking about um, carbon emissions in the world – and this person was showing a graph in their uh, in their article about like critiquing the film, and they were saying that the highest fertility rates often happen in countries with the lowest um, carbon emissions. And so, questioning like you know how we can help with overpopulation in the world uh, is to educate girls empower women, and focus on reproductive health. Well, no, wait a second. So if these countries, if we're looking at uh, teaching, basically teaching girls and women how to be men, let's let's face it, we're not teaching really how to empower the femininity in the world. We're talking about like how to help them start a business, how to help them from, you know, not being who they are. That's just going to increase the carbon emissions, even if it decreases the population somewhat. And I don't want to go down that too much because I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not a statistician, a mathematician or an economist. But what I feel like is I used to talk about educating people in the world and how that might help with a lot of the problems. But it has to be the education that we have to stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are so many problems with that statement you just said. Um And yeah, I'd start there with what we mean by education, because what education means in our culture is indoctrination. We, what are we educating people to do? Someone gets through with, 
What's one of the longer college terms? I don't know shit about college. Like somebody that goes to college a lot. Oh, I don't know. Like, like eight years? Yeah, seven, eight years. Somebody gets done like eight years of college. What the hell do they know about tracking? What do they know about like the plants in their yard? You know, what do they know about, even if they have studied that, like maybe they went there to be a botanist, they learn Latin names. You know, what what relationship? I mean, what are we talking about? We're, we're educating them for a certain purpose. Um, not to connect to the planet because you don't need education for that. You actually, education blocks that. Just living on the planet um, around people that know how to do that. That's how you learn about living on the planet. And yeah, like Teresa said, you know, this indoctrination, what are we indoctrinating people to do? What equality means in our culture is the equal right to live as a white man. (laughs) That is equality. You know, instead of truly like, you know, celebrating diversity, valuing what women already bring to our culture, they don't need to compete with what men are bringing to the culture and what the men in our culture are doing needs to be stopped, not have the doors blown open so more people can fucking join them. And I think you've even said, like, maybe we shouldn't be trying to bring people to our level of consumption and consumerism. Maybe we should be learning how to live more like people who are closer to the land and more living more sustainable lives. Yeah, women, brown people, I mean, pretty <laughs> much all the groups that are not white males. It's, it's a damn shame, like a truly um, what we needed in our culture was a movement to learn more from what they were already bringing, not to have them join the country club, um, you know, to really like value the power of like what the red people were sharing with us and the, the brown people, the black people and the women in our own culture. Um, so, yeah, the, the indoctrination, the education is completely upside down. Another beef I got with that is I think about, you know, the unhappy people, the depressed people. They're not just depressed because of the threat of a growing population. They're not depressed because of, you know, these distant things. There's something wrong with the way we're living right now, even if we could educate women and, you know, flatten the curve with the the population. Hmm. That's not the problem. That's not the underlying problem. It's more of a distraction. It's more of that green energy um, doublespeak. Yeah. I remember the first time, like, when I started reading about doublespeak and everything, I remember seeing a news story, um, and it was about mowing your grass and the dangers of a lawnmower if you wear flip-flops. And this was the first time that on my own, I really caught how the media can control how you think. What this guy did was he turned a mower on its side so the blades are whirring, and he threw some flip-flops in there and then showed you like how it decimated the flip-flops. And this was his argument for why you should wear closed-toed shoes when you mowed the grass. Did he throw closed-toed shoes into the That's mowing? exactly <laughs> it. I, I threw up my hands, and I said, well, why, the, why don't we see what tennis shoes look like when he threw it into the mower? You know, he made it he made it. He posed it as if it, he had won the argument. This is why you do what I tell you you should do. And I see the same kind of method, method, methodology, mm-hmm. method played out over and over, you know, the way they tell us stuff. Another solution, um, solution, quotey fingers, uh, that was given in an article is if we want to, um, really hit industry, uh, 
where it hurts them, we should tax industries on their use of fossil fuels. And then, this is great, then the government who's taxing these industries will redistribute the tax money to the people who will then make really good decisions on like what that money could be used for as far as uh, renewable uh, alternative energy, green energy sources. But I mean, thinking about that leaves out of the equation that the government is not for us. The government wants to keep the economy going, like we said. Industry must continue to increase. That's what stockholders want. That's what industrial society demands. So, yeah, dream world. And that was even mentioned by Gibbs that, uh, you know, green energy is a fantasy. It's an illusion that everything is going to be okay. And that's what we keep holding on to. Mm-hmm. I actually, I'm pretty optimistic. I do believe everything is eventually going to be okay, but certainly not because of green energy. It's because of things like viruses, things that that nature is throwing at us that are forcing us to stop, and hopefully a growing number of people that are open to a drastically different way of living than we've been taught that does not involve oil or green energy. They're twins, as, as Daniel Quinn might say, twins of a common birth. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's two faces of the same monster. And the monster is the way we live, not the way we, we um, power the way we live. I'll give an example because, um, you know, going back to the criticisms, I had a few more. But just to stay with that, why did the film have to badmouth all green energy? I had a Um, personal experience with hydroelectric power in Nepal. Have you been to Nepal? I have, but I haven't been in about five years, so I am not 100% sure what it looks like now. (laughs) Um, I do remember, though, my first encounter with hydroelectric power. Um, I was staying in an orphanage in Pokhara in central Nepal, and Pokhara actually is, um, it's more a, a touristy place. There's a lake there and all sorts of activities for tourists to go to and shops and everything. And I really felt like the um, the climate in Pokhara was about the same as North Carolina, except that it had a monsoon season in about June or July. Now, hydroelectric power. So you've got a lot of water happening in June and July. And right before that, in about March and April and May, um, you have a very dry season. So what happens is you have power for a while, and then you start to get into these rolling brownouts, they call it, or blackouts, if you want. And the power is only available at certain times of the day, certain days of the week. So that's what hydroelectric power looks like in that particular area of Nepal. And now it's been five years and we're talking about, you know, the uh, we don't want to leave out the information about how green energy, renewable energy, um, so they call it, is is getting better all the time. And so maybe it's become more efficient. And maybe like I think it was mentioned in in an interview or even in the film that like, well, maybe we could in the United States use hydroelectric power um, by forcing the water back into the reservoir and then having it come 
over the dam again. But we, we can maybe use like some sort of renewable source to do that. What the hell kind of Frankenstein energy are we talking about? Like it's not natural. Yeah, and even if it does work, which it never seems to, you know, it's always supposed to be like a more renewable resource. And then you dig into it and uh, it doesn't. But even if it did, think about the implications of relying on things that require things like a dam. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter if you, uh, you know, like what is a dam built of? Concrete. Mm -hmm. And uh, as I just learned, concrete is the third largest contributor to climate change. Mm. So you might say, well, that's because it's messy. You know, like we're we're in transition. Let's say you build a dam out of some magic hemp. They figure out a way to build a (laughs) dam out of hemp. That works lovely. It's still a freaking dam. The salmon are still stuck. Yeah. You know, even if they figure out some kind of little, remember when they were doing like those ladders on dams that supposedly the fish could like, you know, like they were more <laughs> fish friendly dams. It uh. never fucking works. Cause you know what worked? The thing that didn't have to be built. Yeah. Call it God, call it nature. Um, hell, even using the tool of science to look at it, you know, you've got natural selection happening. You've got fish, aquatic wildlife, and the whole surrounding ecosystem that through time has been eloquently refined and shaped to do what it does masterfully, eloquently, connected to everything else. There's nothing we can build that is going to do anything except impair or interrupt it. Yeah. I um <clears throat> I used to work at a company um I got this job through a, a friend's spouse and I don't have any background in electrical engineering. I don't even really know about science stuff. Um but I was testing these parts. It was in a research and development lab and the parts contain um silicon carbide which I guess is what they have in solar panels and the parts that I was testing specifically uh, I was told like when I got the job you'll be working uh, with with these parts that help to store energy for solar panels wind turbines and and help to make electric transportation possible whether it's electric vehicles uh, cars uh, trains and I was like wow that sounds fantastic I didn't know that silicon carbide comes from mining rare uh, quartz in the earth, which often takes place in very um, fragile environments. Which, what what environment isn't fragile? I mean, especially the way that we're treating them. Mm. And then they take this, uh, what am I trying to say? This, this quartz, and they have to melt it in with carbon at a very high heat. And of course, how are they making that high heat? <laughs> right. And and not to mention, I mean, I know this this seems like small potatoes, but that company I worked for, um, Cree, now now it's known as Wolf Speed um, in Durham, North Carolina, they have like their sustainability report and it, it's like written by somebody that kind of like rolls their eyes and just has to put words in a, uh, a table so it looks good, like a table on a Microsoft document. I'm telling you right now, 
all the parts, hundreds of thousands of parts that I tested. These are just being tested. Once they're tested, if they break, that was something that was mined from the earth and is now considered garbage. And if I had freaking known that, I didn't know that. I was working with this. I, I thought these were just like, you know, dead things. We talk about animism a lot. This was a very special part of the earth that was taken away from it and put into these like plastic and metal packages, the TO-247 parts that I used to test um, that were made en masse in China. And these little silicon carbide chips were put in there and I was testing them and often, I mean, through really no fault of my own, but I was frying them to see like what their um, capacity was. And that part was then not usable anymore. Garbage. And I just wanted to say, like, these companies, this messy transition we're going through, that was another argument about the film. Like, how dare they talk about, you know, the use of fossil fuels and the use of these, like, Gumby, you were talking about, like, the transition to electric vehicles. Like, of course there's going to be a time that, you know, we have to go through these growing pains. It's never going to stop. The only way to stop this is to stop it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've talked about in the past couple episodes about COVID-19 and and that meme on Facebook, like, you know, COVID-19 comes up and is like, you know, hold my beer. Like, I got this. <laughs> you know, like, I can fix this. Overpopulation? Check. Industry? Output? Check. You know, pollution is down. We see the results of just stopping for a small amount of time. And has been pointed out, um, when we are properly motivated, when we think we might die, Mm -hmm. look how quickly we can make drastic transformations and how quickly the Earth responds to those transformations. We didn't need someone to invent something. We just fucking stopped because suddenly, selfishly, (laughs) you're worried about your own ass getting sick. Or maybe the people you love getting sick. Um, wherever you put that selfish bubble, whether it extends to your family or just yourself, that motivated everybody suddenly, or obedience to the government. Maybe fear motivated you. You're afraid of breaking the law. But whatever it was, look around. We slowed the hell down. Think of how easy it could be to actually stop. We could stop this nightmare. Exactly. And that's what green energy and ideas like it keep us from considering it's a uh, placebo it's a it's just another way that they co-opt you know and i think about like to me one of the things coming out more and more is increasingly how dangerous the left is becoming i already knew the right was dangerous i'm not saying the left are the bad guys and that makes the right the good guys that's the exact fucking propaganda they keep us going with. I'm saying I already knew the right were the good guys, but the left co-ops the movements, the revolution, and tries to sell us shit that's just as bad, like green energy. And um, yeah, I don't want to like get hung up on COVID-19 because I know that's not what this is about. But um, one thing I want to say, you know, in that vein of the left becoming more dangerous is take the snitch line. You know, if you see somebody breaking the law, making a personal choice that has personal consequences, you can call a snitch line. And this is something that is more and more embraced by um, kind of the leftist way of thinking, I'm thinking. Um, 
and a, an increasingly hostile group of people that are really, uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say, push obedience. Mm. It's, it's just dangerous, you know, and more and more I'm seeing the danger in that way of thinking. And I'm thinking, wow, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm going off on a tangent. That's okay, Derek. <laughs> um, yeah, and I interviewed. Let me take this in another direction. Yeah, let me take this in a. Actually, let me take it in a similar direction. Um, that interview that we listened to, Derek Jensen interviewing Jeff Gibbs this morning. I think it was um, Gibbs that said, like, of green energy, no one is allowed to ask questions. It's taboo. And something Gumby that you mentioned was like the smugness of these critiques of the film. Yeah, what was it that you, uh, like, they put up the video and they said they were going to take it down. What group was that? Oh, that was Films for Action. Films for Action. They said at first there was so much misinformation in the film that they took it down. So much. So many lies. So many, like, yeah, facts that were, you know, they weren't facts. And then they decided that that would only give it power. So they put it back up because they wanted people to see the misinformation and to hear the argument. Well, we delved in delved into mm-hmm. delved into the argument and as we said, the argument was bunk. I mean, feel free to delve into yourself and and by the way, of course, we're we're um, encouraging you to watch this movie, which you can watch for free by the way. It's an incredible movie. Um, but I lost train of my thought. It's probably the wind. This just blew your ideas right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. The wind is really blowing right now. Um, well, go ahead. <laughs> I'll see if yeah, it comes the, back to me. The smugness of these arguments. That was it. So thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, so the they put it back up. And I think one of the weak points of this movement is they're getting so smug. They think they've already won because they've got such a huge support base. But... I wonder if they were prepared for how much support this this movie's getting. <laughs> because Derek Jensen has stepped up to support it, you know, like just a lot of people. We're stepping up to support it. Yeah, we're throwing our little piddly little little <laughs> two cents. Two cents if we can even say we've got that much. But whatever we can add our voices to, we're throwing that in. And um you know, I hope that that smugness is a weakness that it's blinded them to the fact that there is a shift happening and I hope that shift has momentum. Um, and as you were saying, you know, like you can't ask questions. Um, one of the things that was brought up in this interview is, and one, another critique, by the way, of this film is they said it was, what was it like old? Yeah. That was another, um, criticism that like they were making fun of the film being so out of touch with the latest technology. Yeah. And Gibbs was saying he doesn't think the story of uh, For the Earth, you know, has been told yet. And Jensen was saying, like, even if it has been told, we're talking about the one place in the known universe that is brimming with life. It needs to be told over and over. And so that's what we're trying to do. We're not bringing you any new information. We might be bringing you our own opinions that you haven't heard. Um, But the information we're all, we're borrowing from other people. But we want to put do our part to say this over and over until we act on it, until we all start to act on it and everyone hears it. We're talking about the most precious thing we've ever encountered, which is the life on this planet and the way we live on this planet. It is worth repeating. I agree. Um, good Lord, is it windy out. Whew. Um, 
yeah, the smugness continued when there was a comment in one of the, in one of the uh, articles about like we now know that you know fossil fuels damage the earth. We now know it's like it just happened. Let me tell you something. We I actually came across this when we were doing the U.S. presidents episodes. Um, we have no scientists have known since the 19th century that human industry and its carbon dioxide emissions are affecting the planet's atmosphere and therefore its climate. Uh, and I'm not even saying that that's the biggest thing that's happening on the earth because the earth is a big entity, a big organism. And, you know, us humans are just kind of like little, you know, piddly doing our thing. So the earth is going to heal whether or not we survive. But yeah, this guy named Svante Arrhenius, I think he's Swedish. (laughs) He's actually the son of Svante Gustav and Carolina Thunberg um, Arrhenius. So go figure. That must be a common name or something. Thunberg, (laughs) Greta. Um, He did... In 1896, he was studying carbon dioxide emissions. And everybody thought he was crazy. Until the 1950s, almost by chance, did scientists rediscover the problem um, that was being caused by our industrial society. And you mentioned Thunberg. I've uh, I've been wondering about her in relation to all this stuff going on because uh, she knows Michael Moore. You know, apparently they met and they uh, had a really friendly meeting. And she's been turned into the poster child for basically green energy. Mm-hmm. I wonder if she's seen the film. I wonder what her reaction is to these uh, thoughts that seem to be gaining momentum and the attention they deserve. Um, yeah, I've been trying to find something on that and have not been able to find anything, but I'm really rooting for Greta. I'm hoping she has the ability to, to learn about this stuff and maybe alter course. And I would love to hear her, you know, speak out and throw her weight behind this. I'd just like to say um, a few other things, and I think that'll kind of wrap it up. It might be not as short as I think. Um, I'm just wondering if the film's detractors understand the implications of industrial society, our way of life right now. I'd say certainly not. Yeah, I'd say like this amnesia that has hold of us... um, and, and also the fact that they don't want to look at the problem or the past of, you know, what we've seen of societies, of civilization collapsing time and again. Uh, I mentioned, you know, green energy as a fantasy, as an illusion that everything is going to be okay. And we've said this before. Technology was what got us into this mess. What makes anyone think that technology is going to save us? Uh, what other species, this was brought up in the interview too with, with Jeff Gibbs, what other species needs to put up solar panels and wind turbines? And why are we idolizing people like Elon Musk who are pushing the sales of electric cars while Ted Kaczynski rots in prison? Um, we talked about COVID, you know, stopping when our lives were in danger We know we can stop, and we know that it works. Um, Jeff Gibbs saying, you know, putting humans before nature is suicide. How we live is unsustainable. 
Well, I can partly venture an answer to why Kaczynski's in prison while we idolize <laughs> uh, um, Elon Musk. Um, Derek Jensen in this interview we're discussing, um, he shared a quote by Upton Sinclair, and I don't, I can't remember the quote. I should have written it down, but basically, the gist of it is that we are invested in not knowing. In other words, we hit, we are invested in having all of our toys and comforts. And so anything that justifies what we want justified, we pretend like it is justified. So we're invested in Elon Musk's vision for the future, no matter whether it is currently destroying the world, um, whether the argument they make for this transition that's supposed to take us into the Star Trek universe where we get to meet Klingons and, you know, maybe like put them on little reservations and share our great white way with them as well. And, you know, the Vulcans and all that. We can have a holodeck to remember what Earth was like before we destroyed it. Yeah, well, we are invested in believing insane, nonsensical things because we're comfortable. Because we would rather believe in the Mad Hatter's bullshit than give up our Starbucks coffee. Exactly. And um, the only other things I just just wanted to say here at the end was, we've kind of already talked about it, that green energy is protecting industrial society. It's just one of the lobbying arms of the energy industry. They need green energy, as Gumby said. It's two sides of the same coin. Green energy as the uh, opponent of fossil fuels, but it's the same damn industry. And, yeah, and Gumby, you had mentioned the uh, the color of the, the military tank, but you had also mentioned um, a couple days ago the solar-paneled, or the solar-powered bulldozer. Yeah, the same idea, you know, like, <laughs> it's a bulldozer. Or the wind-powered plow for our agricultural needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would add, uh, you know, I feel like what we need to do is we need to end the narrative, end the story that we already know does not work. And I realize it's scary. You know, people are like, well, what else are we going to do? Nobody really knows. We can talk about it, but we're not going to know until we get there. What we need to recognize is what's right in front of us. We can see with our own two eyes what is not working, what is killing us, that to me is our responsibility, is our our duty, is to end that. And when we end that, I think that's when we'll really see what comes next. We can have some ideas, but they're untested. And we can't really truly test them until we stop murdering the world. And I really like what, what Jensen and some other people say about hope. They say, don't hope. Hope is someone who is adrift at sea in a boat and is just hoping that someone will come and save them. The person without hope might actually start paddling. (laughs) We need action. Don't hope. There is no hope being offered in our culture, and they are exploiting our fear and our hope. Our hope that someone's going to invent that thing, that thneed, that thneed that everyone needs, if you've read the Lorax. Um, so fuck hope. Get rid of hope. It's, it's holding you back. Be hopeless. And what you might find, you know, when you are hopeless, 
is not the dank, dreary nightmare that you think hides behind it. You might actually find optimism and motivation and action. And I feel like that's what we need. We don't need hope. Not to mention the connection, the reconnection with the world. Yeah, and what a time for heroes we're living in right now. You know, to end that story, that narrative, even if you're not like, you know taking down a a tower or blowing up a dam. Maybe you're just making the changes in your own personal life. That is risky. That is really risky. And it very well could be the biggest sacrifice of your life. It might cost you your life. But my God, the courage involved in that. Um, I think it's such a, a, a fertile time for heroes. And I'm inspired to try to be one, and I would love that inspiration to spread and hopefully motivate us more and more, which are you pretty much done with what you wanted to share? I don't want to... I'm pretty much done. I just wanted to um, you know, send our listener right in, but yeah. Well, I wanted to ask a question, um, and basically, my question is a two-part question. Now, um, <laughs> never mind, but... My first question is, Teresa, why didn't you go green? Like, you know, of all the paths you could have taken, you could have wound up with solar panels. And mm. I would imagine, like me at one time, it sounded like that was the better option before you started encountering the ideas you did and experimenting with what you did. Why didn't you go green? And what is your plan now, given what you know now? What's, what's the aim? Well, I will be very honest with you, um, looking at my selfish needs for transportation, for example, like when I had a vehicle, I, um, I didn't want to give up having a vehicle. I thought it would be much more convenient to have a vehicle. And then looking at electric vehicles or some hybrid of some kind was out of my budget, out of my uh, range of what money I wanted to spend. And now looking at it, like for example, taking the electric vehicle, now knowing what goes into it and how it doesn't change the behavior. Our habits are what is fucking killing us. Oh, I said the F word. Damn. <laughs> I've already said. I, and I'm not sure if I'm answering all of your question, but I guess um, going green to me now means uh, ex- like continuing to explore this way of life that we are doing. Like living in a van, of course, we're fi- we're still filling up the gas tank, although now uh, much less frequently because we're parked out here in the country. But looking at, you know, possibly continuing to park the van somewhere and then traveling on foot uh, to locations where we can be comfortable and where we can um, live on the land, like in the mountains, for example. We're doing a lot of that now, but uh, continuing to move more in that direction and wild tending, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would. Uh, and to answer my own question pretty quickly, pretty much the same reason why I didn't go green, except um, it wasn't just that I couldn't afford the technology to go green. I grew up really poor and I've grown up with the suspicion of the wealthy um, and abhorrence to wealth. wealth. Mm -hmm. And 
I have become more and more sure over my life that anything that requires me to have more money is the wrong direction. Mm. Um, so that's one of the things that kept me from like, you know, going into the solar panels, all this stuff is like, if I can't, if my first thought is I can't afford it, something's wrong. Something is wrong. Something underneath is manipulating me. There's an ulterior motive. Otherwise, you wouldn't need to try to need, feel the need to make more money to do it. And I'd say my aim right now is, uh, you know, what we're studying with all this anarcho-primitivism, a life that can be on the land with as little as possible. Simplicity, not new technology, not compl- not complications, complexity, simplicity. Um, less is more. So that's the direction I'm heading. And I know the van is not the destination. And with that said, I don't really know. Like, I don't know what the answer is, but I do feel like I'm moving in the direction that makes sense to me. And it's not that green energy direction, even before seeing this documentary. Um, and yeah, I guess we're, we're coming to the, the end of our time here. So I just want to, you know, once again, encourage people to watch this movie. Um, it's Planet of the Humans. We're calling our episode here Escape from the Planet of the oh, Humans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, uh, you know, Planet of the Humans, of course, is a play on Planet of the Apes. They even use, like, the same logo. Yeah. Or the same text or font or whatever. And when I was looking at the different... I've got the whole set of the old uh, Planet of the Apes, and I love those movies. Um, but the third one is actually called Escape from the Planet of the Apes. So to continue the play on, on that theme... Um, and it seemed really perfect for us escaping society. Um, but I'm really excited about the direction that Michael Moore and now, you know, we're introduced to Jeff Gibbs. Um, Michael Moore seems to be heading more and more towards anarcho-primitivism. I saw it in Fahrenheit 11.9, um, you know, where he's stopped questioning just the conservative right and actually started questioning Obama and the whole government. You know, like, what if we've never had the government we wanted? That was my favorite thing I think I've heard Michael Moore say, and I love that the next thing that I've seen is this. Yeah. You know, I think he's, he's heading to, in a really good direction. He's starting to question, and like, and I don't want to take up too much time on this, but Jeff Gibbs, um, we were mentioning how he sounded and how they looked um, with these interviews, just like battered and <laughs> battered and beaten and, and not quite um, – comfortable even talking about this because they're getting so much shit yeah i think they're getting in the real fight now but yeah like to finally see like later in life because they're around like 50 60 years old i think um to start to see that is really a challenge but i think i think more and more people are are starting to question so, yeah, check out the documentary. I'll post a link to it. But if you just type in Planet of the Humans, I'm pretty sure you can find it. It's free online. Um, if you want, check out those critiques. Like I said, um, they're kind of shit, but whatever. Inform yourself. And if the orangutan at the end doesn't bring a tear to your eye, um, check your heartbeat. Indeed. And our listener write-in comes from Tim who listened to Quinn's Boiling Frog, our episode on Daniel Quinn's uh, The Boiling Frog. And Tim says, scientists? Jeez. (laughs) And that's how I feel. Hey, Matt. And that's all I've got. Thank you for listening. Check out our website, um, Escaping Society, all one word, lowercase, 
dot weebly w-e-e be like boy l-y dot com facebook type in escaping society look for the burning rocking chair that's us and uh yeah send us any comments you have questions any ideas that uh that we've you know maybe haven't covered here and we thank you as always for listening yep tell us what you think of the documentary bye
soul. Thank you for listening to our song. It's not very good and it went kind of long. Don't care if you like it because we'll be gone over that next horizon. We ain't got no address.